You're listening to Kitchen Table Finance. Join Dave Shotwell and Nick Nauta as they cut through the complexity of financial planning and serve bites of investment advice that are both personal and practical. Hey, Dave, how you doing today? Not bad, Nick. How are you? Fantastic. Another podcast Friday. Here we are, getting back in the groove. Back to our regularly scheduled programming, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Till something crazy Til something else the market. comes up, right? <laughs> Speaking of the market, this does, this today's topic does have some, oh, what's the word I'm looking for, Dave? It does have, it, it does tend to um, lean towards what's happening today. Yeah, in it's the timely. Yeah. Timely. Yeah. Yes. There you go. Yeah. So we've been getting a lot of questions around the housing market and really kind of how do you make decisions in the housing market in today's rate environment, which we've seen the Fed basically accelerate, increase the interest rate at an accelerated pace over the last year um, and are looking to still continue to do a couple more rate increases? Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you, you know, how do you think about that and how do you think about the different housing choices knowing that we're in this rising interest rate environment? Well, and we don't really know how long rates are going to stay high, right? And and it's a rising interest rate environment on the back of a very fast moving real estate market. Since, yeah, so since it's kind 2020. Of got a, so a double whammy of right. housing prices going way up and then interest rates going way up. Right. So all of a sudden the the sticker itself is more expensive and the interest cost built into that it, it's just really changed the math of home buying lately. From what I have heard, and maybe this is a future topic where we bring on a real estate person, um, but the the people that I know that are out there kind of looking at houses is the problem right now is there's not a lot of houses on the market, Mm -hmm. but there's still a lot of people looking to buy houses. And so that creates this where, you know, normally we would think, okay, interest rates go up, mortgages are higher. So housing prices are going to come down. And Mm -hmm. that really isn't what we have seen. We're starting to kind of see it a little bit, but not nearly as much as what you would think at this point. Right. Well, and, and I think part of that is that the, the inflation in prices over the last couple of years, you know, there's been some weirdness about the COVID crisis that maybe affected our thinking a little bit, but by and large, we've just built since the financial crisis slowed development down, we've built about a million too few homes every year for like the last 12 years. And those statistics are coming out of a couple articles um, from last spring. And I think they're still valid. You know, it, whether the numbers are exact or not, it really comes down to the fact that there's too few, too few homes for too many buyers, right? And, you know, the whole pandemic and all the supply chain issues, and we've talked about this on podcasts before, that's not helping the situation, right? right? Like we're not, we're not like, actively trying to make up that gap. We're just trying to survive and, and build right. the houses that we can at this point. Right. So right. it's a it's an interesting time as far as the housing market's concerned. So what I wanted to do today, Dave, is we've gotten some questions of some different scenarios from clients over the past, you know, six months or so. And so we, we've kind of changed some of the parameters of these around a little bit, but I just want to go through a couple of different scenarios that we're seeing come up as people try to make decisions mm-hmm. in this kind of uh, in this rate environment with everything that's going on with the housing market. And so the first scenario that comes to mind that we've helped a couple of people through is should I buy or should I rent? Yeah, that's and, and we get this question isn't unique to this market, right? We we get this mm-hmm. 
on a monthly basis, going back for as long as I've been doing financial planning, it's uh, it's always a um, thought provoking question. It's one of those things that, for you know, many many years, the you know the way to the American dream of wealth is buy a house, right, and mm-hmm. and pay it off because that's how you're going to build wealth over time. It's kind of like this. You know, we could probably do a survey of people that have heard that or had similar stories, and most yeah. most people believe it to be true. Whether or not it is, we can kind of debate and talk about the yeah. numbers. But yeah. either way, most people believe it is true. And, and just like everything that we talk about in financial planning, there's no like hard and fast line that says right. every person should own a house. It's the only way to build wealth. Right. Right. So um, let's go. This scenario that comes up quite a bit is, and let's say you have a young couple, and in this scenario, I threw some curveballs in this one for you, mm-hmm. Dave. So young couple, not married, want to buy their first house together. So they're currently paying rent. We'll call it about twelve hundred and fifty a month, with everything included. They like to buy a house and then keep their payment around fifteen hundred a month. Their parents have come in and said they'd be willing to help them with a down payment. Um, currently, they don't have a lot in savings, but they are both working full time. But the other caveat to this whole scenario is they'd like to move to a different state in three to five years, mm-hmm. get rid of winter. Um, they got good credit. They've been pre-qualified for a 30-year mortgage, current rate at about seven and a quarter, which means their high-end home range would be about 175000 or so to make okay. all that math work out. Okay. So the, the question, I guess, there, Dave, is buyer rent. And we're probably going to have to unpack a lot of that before we can answer it. But. Yeah, yeah. There's a couple couple things that come to mind right away out of this scenario. And, um, you know, so, so yes, um, you know, the, the difference between rental payments and mortgage payments is $250 in this case. And if you actually get to own the home, that in and of itself doesn't seem like that big a difference, right? Right. But on the other hand, that's not including, you know, we're, we're kind of pretending that rent amount is, you, you've got then everything included. So, yeah. you know, yep. um, then you've got to figure not just utilities, but property taxes, insurance. But more importantly, I think people don't think about the amount of money they spend on home improvement and maintenance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... So, um, you know, when you're, when you're thinking about equating these things, right, you've got to, mm-hmm. you've got to take all those costs in and you've got to make some guesses. And then, you know, the classical studies of these kind of scenarios, like true financial planning textbook cases would take that and say, okay, now say it, say the true cost of, of owning the home is $2,000 a month when you figure everything in. Um, so then you know, the difference is $750 a month, right? Well, what if that right. renter then took that $750 a month and invested it instead of, you know, putting it in their house? How much equity in the house would they have versus how much would they have in their portfolio, say, in three right. years, right? But there's flaws in that thinking. And the first thing that comes to mind with that is, human nature, the one thing that works about, you know, the 30-year mortgage that we've all been trained as the key to middle-class wealth is that it does force discipline on you, right? Yeah. You you essentially are taking, you know, that, that $1,500 a month is going to your mortgage payment in this scenario. A portion of that every month is basically going to purchase your equity, 
right? Some of mm-hmm. it's going to interest, but some of it is going to equity. So that mm-hmm. when that mortgage is paid off, you own that equity and you've, you've intentionally, it's, it's really similar to putting that money in a piggy bank in a way, right? Right. And, and so that's one reason why, why it works is because it forces people that might otherwise spend that difference between rent and mortgage doing whatever, it forces them to save and creates that savings account in a way in their house. Right. But on the other hand, you know, the things that come to mind in terms of like guiding a client in this situation, the first thing that comes to mind is, okay, you, you want to buy a house, but you think you want to move in three to five years and not just you want to move out of, out of state. That's right. not a long enough time frame for me to expect you to recapture all the front end costs of buying a house. Not to mention the fact that in a short term like that, who knows where, what direction the housing market's going to go, right? Right. Absolutely. So, so one thing that, you know, the trade-off between building equity and renting is flexibility, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you're buying a house, you're marrying that house for, you know, at least a long enough time to know that you're, you're doing well, you know, yep. to, get, to get through any market volatility. When you're renting, you can pretty much, within the terms of your lease, be done in, you know, usually 12 months is the term, right? Yeah. So, right. so you know, you can time things and say, okay, we're going to move to New York um, in April because our lease here is up in May and, you know, we're done. Yeah. And so, you know, when you don't know where you want to be or what you want to do, that flexibility mm-hmm. is worth something. You know, we probably should have looked up the ballpark upfront costs on a mortgage right now, not just the down payment, because that, you know, right. going, but you know, the the closing costs, closing costs. Else. Yeah, I mean, um, probably typically, and it's been a while since I looked, but you know, two thousand to twenty five hundred dollars yeah. would be my guess as yeah. kind of a ballpark for that. And yeah. then there's the back end too, right? If you're going to sell mm-hmm. your house in five years. Then you got to pay the commission, real estate commission, and all that stuff. That's six percent plus on the other expenses of listing and all that. So you know, it's just a great reminder that you know, even though you turn on HGTV, Mm -hmm. there's thousands of shows that show you how these people can flip houses in short amount of time and make a bunch of money. Yeah, that's not the reality of the world we live in, right? Yeah, and you're. Your point about flexibility is a great one too, Dave, because if you decide to move, you don't have to worry about what the value of your house is that you're going to sell it at. Right. If you're renting, you can just pick up and move. And that the value of the housing market has no impact on you if you're right. not, if you're renting. Right? Yeah. And, and you know, you, another point here, in addition to moving, this couple isn't married. Yeah. And, you know, not to um, impose any judgments on that, but boy, if you're going to buy a house together, you might as well be married, right? Yeah. So, so <laughs> really think about that relationship mm-hmm. and how that plays out. Because there are, you know, if, if you buy a house together and then separate, there's legal ramifications that you've got to think about right. how you're going to, how you're going to split the China. Just be cognizant of that. And what I would, I, I think what I would tell this couple is unless they've got like a screaming deal in front of them, that they feel they have to buy, they're probably mm-hmm. further ahead to save for that house three to five years from now when they move to the place they think they want to be long term. I would definitely tend to agree with you there. You know, and back back to the marriage thing, right? And and there's you know there's a couple different 
variables that we could throw into this, mm-hmm. right? Is it, is it you're not getting married because you don't believe in marriage, but you want to be with this person forever, or mm-hmm. you're not ready to make that commitment? Because, right. Like you said, buying a house together is basically making that commitment. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's not quite having kids together, but it's 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 up yeah. there, right? It's and one then, a step above a dog and a step below kids. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So, there you go. so yeah, you know, uh, that flexibility you get in renting is probably worth it. And that commitment to saving the, you know, what, what you can right now towards that three to five year purchase may both help the relationship and help, you know, speed that decision-making along. Yeah, I agree. Another thing that I think about here too, and we can wrap this one up, but just cash flow in general. So we talked a little bit about, you know, the payment would be a little bit higher than the rent, which isn't a big deal, but there's all those other expenses that go into it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, I see this a lot where parents want to help kids make a down payment on a house, which I think is great. Mm-hmm. But also for a young couple, I think it's super important that you can show that you can save for your own down payment yeah. so that you know that those increased expenses aren't going to be that big of a deal when you get in there and you actually buy a house and spend right. more on rent than you normally have been in the past. Well, and, and parents need to think about how that influences decision-making, right? Right. You know, sure. in, in the insurance world, they talk about what's called a moral hazard. Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. in this case, what it would be is, okay, I, if I say to my, my son or daughter, I'm willing to give you $10,000 towards a down payment on a house. Well, if that's all I'm going to give them that money for, they're going to go find a house. Right. right. Yeah. Whether, whether, and so whether they checked those boxes we just talked about, about, you know, is it where we want to be long term? Is it the right financial cash flow decision? Is it, you know, are we committed enough to each other to own a house together? All of that stuff kind of gets chucked by the wayside because mom and dad are, are ready to help us out. They're not giving us money to move to a new state, they're giving us money right. to buy a house. Yeah. And, and then you go and want to sell that house three to five years to move to where you want to be. And maybe it doesn't go well financially. And then everybody's kind of, you know, it's going to make for a real awkward Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah, for sure. So, and it's, you know, you got to be careful as parents of the behavior that you're trying to incent, right, right? Right. Like maybe it's, maybe you, instead of saying, hey, we'll pay for your down payment, maybe if your goal is to get them on better financial footing, maybe you say, hey, if you save up 10 grand in the next couple of years, mm-hmm. I'll, we'll match it for a down payment or whatever else you want it to be. Right. And so then you're trying to help them get on the right page in terms of doing the things financially, but not saying, hey, you have to go out and buy a house, even if maybe you don't want to, because that's what I'm giving you money for. Yeah. Them, right. Yeah. Got to be careful with that. So great point. So let's go to scenario two real quick, because we've had a lot of this lately mm-hmm. as well. So scenario two is the, do I move or do I stay, right? Mm-hmm. So we've got um, a couple that's retiring. They would, you know, part of their retirement goal is to own a lake house up north. So they currently have, you know, a bigger house, four bedroom, three bathroom, um, and but their kids have moved out and they no longer need the space and don't want to take care of such a large house. So in this scenario that we made up, the house is worth about three fifty. Um, so they still owe about a hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. Have a mortgage at three and a quarter because they locked in a couple of years ago with twelve years left on it. Um, based on their research, they're thinking a new house would cost about four hundred and fifty to five hundred thousand. 
So they don't have assets that they are have available to pay for the increase in costs. Most of their um, retirement assets are locked up in 401k type accounts. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're thinking, you know, if they did this, they'd probably need a new mortgage of around 250000 at today's rates. So how do they decide whether to move or stay? Oh, boy. You know, this... <laughs> We have a tendency to reduce everything to a math problem, right? But, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. you know, in a way you have to, right? The first the first thing as a financial planner we'd want to see is, okay, if we're going to mortgage $250,000 at today's rates, what's that payment going to look like? And yep. what does that mean for this couple's cash flow? You know, where's that going to come from in their retirement assets? Yeah. Um, but, you know, bigger picture, yeah, you know, I chuckle. We we made an assumption here that our listeners are all in Michigan and understand that you know the Southeast Michigan is the metro area, and and you go up uh-huh. north for vacations and to retire. I've spent right. most of my life north of the forty fifth parallel in Michigan, up north, and you know I would tell I, I tell clients that are thinking this because this is this is a very common question for our Lansing and Grand Rapids area and Detroit area folks. You know, do rent for a summer. Yeah. You know, don't, uh, well, and, and more important, if this is going to be your year round home, get up there in the winter and, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and don't just, and don't just play tourist. Think about like, what does grocery shopping look like on a weekly basis? What does, you know, am I going to be happy in this town? That's, that's, um, maybe a vibrant place in August, but is maybe a little bit drear in February because it's not for everybody. And so back to that idea of flexibility, the scenario here that I might advise is, hey, you know, you're just retiring, Um, do a month, rent a place for a month in the summer and a month in the winter. Yeah. You know, go try it out. Because, yeah, yeah, you know, if you got it right, you'd be better off buying and and not wasting money on the rental. But that's a that's kind of a cheap insurance policy to to make sure before you sell house A to buy house B. And kind of, which is kind of crossing the Rubicon in a way, you know, you've given it a try and not just decided that, you know, what was great when we vacationed with the kids over, um, you know, summer break is where we want to spend the rest of our lives. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think, you know, people sometimes, are, you know, they have an idea in their mind of what they want, yeah. but they don't necessarily, like you said, because they went for a weekend vacation, but it's very different living in, you know, the, the northern parts of Michigan, which are known for colder winters, more snow, more isolation, um, less access to the everyday life that you might be accustomed to in a Lansing or Detroit or Grand Rapids. And so mm-hmm. I think that's a great point to, you know, try that stuff out. I have kind of a funny story. So I went to northern Michigan, as you know, Dave, mm-hmm. which is up in Marquette and the UP. Yep. And my brother-in-law was in the um, recruiting department up there for a while. And he told me, and I'm going to get the stats totally wrong, but they're close to this. <laughs> they would do visits in the summer and like 80% of those kids would end up going to school there. Yes. And they would do visits in the winter and it was like 10% of yeah. those kids would end up going to school there. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it's, so you definitely yeah. want to make sure that you know exactly what you're getting into right. before you make a huge decision like buying a house that size yeah. and moving everything before you're sure that's well, really what you want. And, and to extrapolate it more to, um, you know, maybe the rest of the country than just, you know, our, our Michigan environment. 
I, a lot of it, I think, is the rural versus suburb metro oh, divide. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, for me, it works, but I know a lot of people that it doesn't work well for. There's always trade-offs that maybe on a week's vacation, you don't pick up on quite as readily. So for this couple, another thing that I would also consider is what does this mean for your retirement projections? And what I mean by that is if you're going to, if you're planning on having X amount of money in retirement on a monthly income basis, what is that? If you increase your housing costs, right? If you're going to go out Mm -hmm. and double, maybe even close to triple, if we talk about the increase in interest rate, your housing costs, what does that mean for your overall monthly budget? And what are are there things you're going to not be able to do or be able to, or Mm -hmm. maybe, so maybe you don't travel, right? Or maybe you can, maybe instead of traveling three times a year, you can only travel once. Like what are the trade-offs? Cause there's always going to be a trade-off there of what are we not going to be able to do because we have more of our resources allocated to travel and just go through that exercise and make sure you're comfortable with what those trade-offs are. Yeah. And, you know, on, on one hand, when we look at this kind of scenario, what they're really doing, right, is shifting shifting money from income resources to real estate, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's a bigger piece of real estate than they currently own. That's, mm-hmm. you know, if we think about somebody's net worth as their entire portfolio, you know, in in the in the current situation, they've got two hundred fifty thousand dollars invested in real estate, right? Mm-hmm. And they're going to yep. go to having you know, eventually as they pay down the mortgage that they'd have to borrow, they'll have, they'll have a bigger slice in real estate. And so while we don't usually, like when I build a plan, at least if we can avoid it, we don't include somebody's home equity in their resources, right? Unless the plan isn't working. And then we have to talk about reverse mortgages or downsizing, but the Mm -hmm. bigger piece of the pie, you make your real estate portion of your overall net worth the more important it is to think about what would my exit strategy be if I live long enough or the markets don't do well and I start to run out of money. Am I willing to sell this piece of property? Am I, you know, how would I get that equity back out if I had to? Right. You know, and, and like I said, for most people, we, we try to, we try to make things work without having to, that's kind of the, the backup plan. Right. But the bigger, the bigger that, the more expensive your house is, the more important a role it may play in the future. And that just, not everybody's willing to think like that. So yeah, um, just, you know, needs to be part of the calculus. That's a great point. And, you know, another thing I think of in a scenario like this, which we haven't really talked about, but you know, from a mortgage interest rate standpoint, it's not a great time. You know, if you're getting, so I I guess what I'm getting at is I wouldn't let that be the deciding factor of, Hey, I'm going to wait to do this until interest rates come back. Yeah. If you can still afford the payment. Right. With the higher interest rates, I wouldn't, I wouldn't not buy a house just because the interest rate per se is higher than it was two years ago. I think we have to keep perspective that the rates we've been dealing with for the last 10 years are way lower than, than normal mortgage rates, mm-hmm. right? And we've yeah. kind of gotten spoiled, but we've kind of, you know, our mind anchors on things that like, like yep. 3% to 4%, that's the normal 
right? And, yeah. you know, and no, nowhere close to normal. But what I would say, if you're going to take a mortgage at seven and a quarter, I'd be watching the rate market, you know, oh, sure. and, and be thinking, okay, maybe three or four or five years down the road, I'm refinancing. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Um, to save your overall interest cost over your lifetime. Mm-hmm. Or it changes how we think about the question of do we pay our mortgage down versus staying invested? Yeah. You know, that's another great one. Um, and just in terms of like, yeah, do you pay extra on the mortgage knowing it's a, a higher rate or go with a 15 year as opposed to a 30 year knowing mm-hmm. that it's a higher rate? I mean, those are all things that you would want to consider. Yeah. In- scenario like this, but I don't think it's a, I'm not going to do this because the rates are higher if I mm-hmm. can still do it. Right. That's, that's my a deal breaker. Right. That's my take on it. And there, you know, it goes back to this and, and I know we've talked about this before too, but um, you know, some people don't want to have any debt in retirement mm-hmm. and some people are comfortable with it. So you also have to figure out where you fall on that spectrum. Of, are you okay having housing debt um, having a mortgage, even though you're not working anymore, how do you feel about that? How's that going to drive your decision making and right. your enjoyment of retirement? Right, right. Never simple, is it? We never can give a straightforward no. answer. <laughs> It'd be no, nice if everything could just be, well, well, give me the numbers. I'll throw it in my calculator and tell you exactly what you should do. Taxes, yeah. you can do that a little bit, but you know, with yeah. the rest of this, not so much. Yeah. So hopefully that's some good advice and some things people can consider as they're making these decisions. Um, And we would love to have our listeners, if you have a scenario like this that you want to hear our thoughts on in the podcast, feel free to shoot that over to info at srbadvisors.com. Be happy to keep you confidential, but would love to kind of give you some feedback or our thoughts on what you should consider and how you should attack a decision like this. Yeah. If it's on your mind, I guarantee it's on the mind of uh, a lot of other people too. So. Absolutely. Well, this was great, Dave. Thanks for uh, playing along. Yeah. And, uh, fun. We'll, we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Nick. Gather around and follow the Kitchen Table Finance Podcast to learn about money and simple ways you can invest right now. You can find more practical advice at srbadvisors.com and contact the team for personal planning by emailing info at srbadvisors.com.